Let's get back to Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Let's get right back to the interview Elliot and I did with Roger Craig. How did you get into coaching? Well, I always said, especially after I hurt my arm and learned how to pitch a little bit. You know, back in the old days, we, we had up old, there were some big name pitching coaches, but they, they were just, they were just there. They because they were great pitchers. They didn't really know how to teach. And I made a point that I'm going to learn from. In the last couple of years I played, I went around all the great pitchers, Robin Robinson, all those guys, Warren Spahn, and talked to them about it, about pitching and what they go. And that's. That's how I just decided I wanted to be a pitching coach when I got through, and, and uh, I really enjoyed being a pitching coach. And I had we had a good year with the with the Tigers, Detroit Tigers, and Sparky was great. Sparky's are a lot like Casey. Uh, they both were, the, you know, the press loved them because they loved to talk baseball and talk and say things that entertained them. And he was really good, but he's great to work for. I really enjoyed being with Sparky. How did this? How'd you become like the the guru for the forkball? Well, no, it's just uh, it's not. See, it's, a, it's a forkball and a split finger. Two, they're very similar, but they're two different pitches. A forkball okay. was like Elroy Face had one, Lenny McDaniel, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of like. But anyway, they they went deeper on the ball, and it was just kind of a, like a changeup. Uh, and they they had the the arm motion where, but where the split finger, I had guys could throw it. They wouldn't put their fingers down as far. They could throw it 90 miles an hour and it goes straight down. Uh, but it was a, it was a pitch that it, to me, and like a lot of people said, you didn't invent that pitch. And I said, I know I didn't do it. I said, Bruce Suter's the first one ever that I ever saw throw it. He had the best one that ever was. And he got his from his, his pitching coach at Chicago. I can't think of his name. You ought to know what was his name, that older guy. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean because Bruce Suter was struggling in the minors, and I th- Martin, I want to say his name was. Uh, I don't think it was Martin, but he taught up. Bruce Suter how to throw it. And Bruce Suter, he, and I would say this is about seven, eight years ago. He and I were at a card show in New York, and I'd read something in a book or something where he wrote that that, that Roger Craig did not invent a split thing. You know, I just walked up to him very nice, and you know. I'm going to tell you something. I said, I never took credit for, I never told a writer or anybody that I took credit for for teaching this place. I just found a different way to throw it because I came to you. I said, I came to you one time to see how you threw it, and I, I could not teach it the way you threw it. He threw it very differently. He used his thumb to push up on the ball and that give it that top spin, and it was why it was so good. He said, I know I didn't say that to the guy. He wrote the book and all that stuff. He said, I see, but he said, you did real well with it, which he gave him the compliment. But, uh, but I never did take credit for that. I just learned how to, a different way to throw it. And, and the way I did it, we had a baseball school here in, in uh, uh, a real big, good school here in San Diego. And, and I had kids, you know, 6, 17, 18, that were college and high school that were starting to throw up pretty hard, and they didn't know how to throw a change it. But I said, just tell them, I'll hold them, just take you. Thing is, split, split them apart, split them. I say hold it about half an inch and throw, throw me a fastball. Then I go out a little bit more and more and, and get further down the ball. And the farther you go down the ball, the less speed you can throw it. But I said the key to it was to to throw it like a fastball. Don't think about nothing else. Just throw like, put your fingers down there and throw a fastball. You can't throw it as hard. 
and the ball is going to is going to move. But it, most of them are going to drop down. And uh, it was a. I used to take the first time I got managed the Giants. I took my whole pitching staff out there, and, and I showed. I said I'm about throwing the split thing. I said on one guy that volunteered had just never thrown it before to come out here, and I had Mark. I'll never forget Mark Davis come out there. He had a real good arm. And he came out there, and I showed him how to do it. And he was—he had one that was unbelievable. It was unhittable. But it, they just picked it up so fast. And some people say it's bad on your arm, but I don't think so. And God, the worst pitch for your arm is throwing the curveball. Good God, you put that elbow and you put the string you put on your elbow and your shoulder. Yeah. The guy's name was Fred Martin. Well, Martin, you're right, Martin. Right, that's right, Fred Martin. Yeah, good. Yeah, he's the one that, that taught Bruce Suda how to throw it. And Bruce Suda had one that's unhittable. But that's all he had. He, he, he first saw him throw it. He might get 3-0, oh, he might throw a fastball, but he'd throw it all the time. The hitters know what was coming, he still couldn't hit it. Well, what always it, amazed me is he's throwing these balls that end up in the dirt, and, and as a, a spectator, I'm going, what are they swinging at those pitches for? You know, the thing about it, and the guys that had the good one, and he had the best, it would get almost to the home plate, and the ball would would just, the bottom would fall out of it. They swing at it like it's like in the middle of the plate, and like you said, it's in the dirt, and they swing at it. And, it's a, and I've heard a lot of people say, why do they swing at it? And I said, well, they thought it was a, a right down the middle, but, but the bottom would fall out of it. A guy you taught to throw, Jack Morris, he wasn't too shabby either. Pardon me? Jack Morris, the guy you taught to throw it, wasn't too bad either. Yeah, he had a good one, and he he learned to throw it a little bit late. He was Jack Morris was one of the greatest pitchers that ever lived. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. He was a big money pitcher and all of it. Jack had a he didn't like to throw it. He wanted he had like a blooper ball type pitch, and he could throw it. He telegraphed and they'd hit it. And that's a Jack. And I kept trying all year to get him to throw the split thing. He'd throw on the sideline. He'd throw a good one. I said, "Dude, you're in the game." No, I don't have no confidence in it. So finally one day in Baltimore, I said, Jack, throw your split finger lock today. In fact, I'll call the pitches for you. I call a lot of them for that, one, that year. We won everything. And uh, so he, then finally he learned. He said, God, I didn't believe I could get people out with that pitch. And he, Jack had a – his was so good, too, that he'd throw half of them in the dirt. But some some of the guys still swing at them. But Jack was a – he was a real – he won a lot of big games, boy. Big games. The bigger the game, but you know he had the capacity. He could beat you one to nothing or ten to eight. He could. Be, he kept him leaving in the ball game because he's going to find a way to win. And I guess that's one reason he's not in the Hall of Fame because I think his earned run average is a little bit over four. Yeah. He, he didn't get elected, did he? Or did he? No, he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Now, after that '84 season. If I understand correctly, you asked for a raise and didn't get it, and then you said, Where'd you get all this information? I'll say you do your homework. Well, you go on the inter- you go on the internet, you find out all sorts of interesting stuff. Yeah, yeah. So you, you say bye bye tigers. Yeah, because uh, my wife didn't really like it that much because it, they didn't they really didn't do anything for the women or nothing. We got in the World Series, and you know they they flew on separate planes, and we had a big old one of them big jets, and she was upset about that because she'd been on she's spoiled she'd been on other World Series. I was in and fly, 
anyway, but anyway, you know, I've been up there for four years. I really enjoyed it, and I just thought I might take a year or so. I, actually, I came back and worked with them in the minor leagues that year. Okay. I think they, 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 they signed me. I heard later on they signed it because they thought you like something you go and go to some other ball club, and then then I finally did when I when Al wow. Rosen and Bob Lurie called me about the Giants. Yeah, Al, Al Rosen calls you and says uh, this is '85, middle '85, right? Want to know if you right. wanted to be a want to know if you wanted to be a manager. I said, yeah, but you know what I told him. I, he was with Houston. I said, no. I said, Bob Lewis is one of my best friends. We played together and all this. He said, I'm not going to take his job. He said, no, I'm going to be, I'm going to, to the Giants. I said, the Giants? I said, lost 100 games. <laughs> he said, anyway, we, we talked. We, I spent two days down there. And uh, I remember going in and sitting behind home plate watching the game. and talking to the scouts. And then they got all in the papers that Roger Craig will be the next manager of the Astros. But anyway, but Bob and, and Al and I hit it off good, and uh, we had more fun together. We just clicked together. He he come to me every day. We're getting a little slump. What do you need? This and that. And he he have his scouts would come tell him about somebody might could help us, and he'd ask me, and I said, yeah, let's. I I tell him what I thought. I didn't agree with him all the time, but but uh, he just he you know he went and got Rick Russell and Don Robinson and. He got, he bought in more relief pits. He thought I could teach him all the relief pit, uh, the split finger. He bought in uh, God, Quisenberry, uh, oh, Ben Rosen came down that really helped us. Uh, Gossage, uh, Steve Carlton. God, I can't think of some more great relief pitches that were about that, at the end of the line. <laughs> he said, well, teach them that split thing. I said, well, they got to have a little more than a split thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But you mentioned Rick Russell. I thought Rick Russell was through when he came back to the Cubs in '84, and he had a revival under you. And same thing on Mike Kruko. Well, Rick Russell was kind of his own. I didn't. He he wanted to do everything his way, and I kind of watched him last night. All I said, one day he pitched in about the fourth or fifth inning, and I asked the catcher, I said, "How many breaking balls he throw?" He said, "None." <laughs> so I was thinking to myself, I said, "Damn, if he's getting them out of it, and he had a really a good sinker." And I said. I left him alone. So when sometimes he'd pitch a whole game without throwing a breaking ball. He'd just throw that good hard sinker. And once in a while, he'd, well, he'd hold it with the seam, and once in a while, he'd get two strikes. He'd, he'd throw it across the seam right up around his chest, and most of the time he'd take it for, for a uh, third strike. You know, he he didn't like to throw the first base. I had signs at all my catches. Cause I, had, I could pick up signs, and I, I would... Uh, have him throw the first base up. If I'd hit a that base runner gave it away, or I might find the first base coach give something. He didn't like that. He'd just turn around, throw the ball, lob it over there. So one day he's pitching game. He's leading one to nothing. They got the guy, and I know the guy's running. I had to sign. So I had to throw over there, and he just turned and threw it, lob it over there, and the guy ran, it, and we got him off. He says, I'll never show you up again. Just, we got the guy out, and we, we ended up winning the ball game. But Rick was a uh, he was a he was a he was a pretty good hitter. He was a good athlete, that guy, big as he was. Even though he didn't look like he ever was in shape. No, he didn't. He looked. In, I saw him at a not long ago, three or four years ago, somewhere. We and uh, he looked better shape than he's ever been. I said, "You're not, you're one of that kind of shape. You pitch for me." <laughs> 
But yeah, another guy, Mike Kruko, you revived his career. Yeah, Mike Kruko's, uh, you're talking about a, a guy that, he's one of my favorites. He, in fact, him and Brenda were my leaders in the club. You know, everybody always asked you, did you, who'd you appoint for a captain? I said, I'm not going to appoint nobody for a captain. That, that guy will surface from the pack and it, it's very seldom your best player. It's, it's a guy that, uh, you know, just, Brenda was just, he was just a, he'd walk in the club out for it. He'd jump all over the guys, but if he thought they didn't run balls out of something. So those little things like that helped a manager. A manager can't go in and scream and holler at everybody all the time. And, cause you know, you, you lose them when you do that. But him and Kruko, boy, they weren't afraid to do it. Mike Kruko, he never wanted to come out of a ball game. And I always told the pitchers, I said, when I walk to the mound, don't give me that ball unless I ask for it. Because some guys would be upset and pissed off, they just take the ball and throw it. And I said, don't ever do that. You might do it one time, then you won't be here no more. But anyway, Mike, would he would walk, do it to me. Skip, skip, I can get this guy out. I can get him out. I can get him out. I can get him out. And most time I'd leave him in, and most time he'd get him out. But he was a, a fierce competitor. And he had a, his split finger was more like a changeup. But he had a, uh, he just had he pissed on guts and control, mostly. Now, your success as a manager, to me, was sort of the prelude to other pitchers becoming managers because for a long time the theory was, oh, we'll, we'll get a catcher because the catcher sees the entire game. You know, they're, they're the smart guys out there. How gratifying is it to, to see guys like Bud Black and, and other pitchers following your footsteps? Well, I, I, it's very gratifying. In fact, I've got a, a lot of money. Matt Williams, one of my players, uh, Bob Brindley, Phil Garner, uh, Bobby Melvin, and I feel uh, honored that they're they're there. Not that, that, that I had a chance to to help them along the way a little bit, but but uh, I don't know. Uh, I never even thought about. It. I was the most stunned guy in the world when I was in spring training with the Met, with the. Uh, Padres in Yuma, Arizona, and one day we were going out, and one of the, uh, the, the general man, not the general man, President uh, Ballard Smith, who was Ray Kroc's son-in-law, saw me. I was going to get a paper. said, what time do you go to the ballpark? I said, well, I'll get to go out about 8 o'clock. He said, okay, I'll see you out there. I didn't think nothing about it. So I go to the stadium, and Alvin Dark was a manager, and we had a coach's room, and all the all the coaches around getting dressed, and so he come in. He opened his door and called. So I want everybody to come in my office except Roger. I said, "What the hell? What's going on?" I thought I'd done something wrong, and uh, so I heard him say, "He said I've been relieved of leaving my duties, and Roger's your interim manager, and this and that, and all that." That that, that was really that really stuck because I never really thought about managing. I never did, and I, but after I started doing it, I really liked it. I like I like managing a lot, but. Uh, you know, Alvin Dark was one of the few guys that he got fired in spring training. That's, and, and that, that's, that's tough to do. And that, and that day we played a doubleheader with the, with the Giants, and I'm managing the Padres, and we won a doubleheader. I guess Ray Kroc thought I was a genius. <laughs> and so, so he, he flew in his helicopter down from L.A. or somewhere, and they, they had them, you know, had a, a the press after the game was over. So the first thing he did, he got up and he, he talked real loud. Uh, Roger's not my own manager. I said, oh, shit. I said, I'm going back to be a pitcher. 
he's my manager. Just you know, I just won two games in one day. He said, I thought I was a, a genius or something. Lucky, luck, lucky you won. If you didn't, Ronald McDonald might have been the manager. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Well, oh, you should you should have gotten free McDonald's for life after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think he was the one that got that fired me because he he didn't really know a lot about he didn't know nothing about baseball. He he, he brought in Gene Tennis and who was the other guy? I think uh, Gene Tennis and uh, I think Raleigh Fingers for the second year I managed and. And we had a bad year. Roger Smith was there. He got hurt and then, uh, just had a bad year. And so and the first year of man, we won 84 games. And he, so now he, he hires these guys. He said, how many games do you think you can win next year? I said, well, you know, we're, gonna, we're shooting for 90. If we win 90, you never know. He said, you mean you can't win every game? <laughs> and I thought he was kidding. I said, Mr. Crockett, if we lose... 62 games, that means we're going to win 100. He didn't understand that. He just didn't like when it. When, you better win every game if you're going to manage, manage for him. It's not possible. But he's the same guy that let Dave Winfield go and let them trade Ozzie Smith for Gary Templeton. No, yeah. yeah. Well, Dave Winfield, he was a great player. He was a... I had him when he was real young, but he had some talent. He got in a slump one time. He come down to the bullpen to work with a pitch. I want you, he said, I want you to teach me how to pitch. I can't hit no more. But he had a rifle arm. He could have been a good pitcher. He, he was a great basketball player, too. What was it like being on the field for the 1989 World Series when the earthquake hit? Well, actually, we, were in the, we had just finished batting practice, and we were in the clubhouse. And... I don't know if you've ever been in Candlestick Park. I'm sure you have. In fact, they sent me two two chairs. They just they turned the door down and they sent me two chairs. I got them sitting in my backyard. But it, that that earthquake when the earthquake hit, I heard uh, Don Ramos. I'll never forget. He was in the club. I said, "Earthquake, earthquake!" And the the, the, st- the stuff on the, my ceiling was coming down. I was sitting in my office, and I just ran. The, I said, "Everybody, run out and get out and let's go out in the parking lot." And the parking lot was real close there. And we were running out in the parking lot. Some of the guys were in their shorts and not even half dressed, and and standing on that asphalt, you could feel it moving under your feet. And then we I finally went out on the field, and then uh, Tony Russo and I were talking. And what was the what was the principal league? And Faye Vincent come over and said, "What are we going to do?" I said, "I said you better get everybody out of here because one of the." TV guy said that in one part of the stadium in center field said that the whole bleachers had just sunk about a foot. Whoa. I said, you know, better get them out. And they won't leave until we leave, they see us leave. And we all, both teams left with our uniforms on and, and that, that got them out of there. But, uh, I remember I, was, I had a pickup truck and had a lot of my family in there. I'm driving, riding out my uniform and some guy come up at a bottle of champagne and says, I declared my wife and I get married tonight. You have a bottle. Will you drink a bottle of champagne? I said, I'll have a swallow. I took a swallow up and give it back to him. <laughs> <laughs> but that would, you know, the only good thing about that earthquake was that Bay Bridge, and, you know, it was a double decker. Mm-hmm. And at that time, 530 is rush hour, and most people on that, they're going home from work or going somewhere. And, and a lot of them was, was over 60 some thousand people at the ballpark. Huh? The ones that didn't get tickets were home getting ready to watch it. So the, the, the bridge wasn't very crowded when all that stuff happened. 
there'll be a lot more cars crushed in there. Did you have a favorite batter to face when you were pitching that you knew you could get out any time, any day? Not many. The only one that I really got out good was Ernie Banks. God bless him. What a, what a credit he was to the game of baseball. And uh, But I just had a thing. He could never figure out what I'm going to throw. One time I was I threw him three straight sliders for ball three, then I threw him a fastball right down the middle, another fastball down the middle. He didn't swing. I threw him another one. He didn't swing. He dropped his bat on home plate and looked at me. And he said, you got my head screwed up. <laughs> but he's one of the few guys I got out. A lot of guys hit me good. Hank Aaron, Eddie Matthews hit me good. Stan Musial hit everybody. Well, they hit everybody good, too. I was going to say, you're talking about guys that hit most most yeah. pitchers pretty good. Yeah, but you who know, do you, who do you I think had, the great? Who do you think the greatest player of all time was? You've seen a lot. Well, it's boy, it'd be close. It'd be between Willie Mays and Clemente, and I always put Hank Aaron in that too. Hank Aaron was a great. You know, he could steal a lot of bases, but he didn't steal unless he had to steal. You know, if the game's on the line, he didn't steal just to add another stolen base to his. But Hank, Willie McCovey. Could probably hit a ball as hard as any man I ever saw. I mean, so I'm glad he didn't hit him back through the block. <laughs> but but uh, he'd hit him to the second baseman. Yeah, but there's a lot of great players of uh, George Brett and but with Willie Mays and Hank Aaron, uh, you know, and Clemente, they had all the tools. They were five skilled players. They would you know hit for power and run bases, great arms. Good defensive players. Who had a better Who had a better arm, uh, Ferrillo or Clemente? Because they're both pretty good. Both of I would think Clemente had a better. Clemente. Well, the one thing is that in, in every field, the fence was so short. Uh, he was he was like I think it was three oh five or something down the line, and, and left center was three forty four. So he wasn't throwing the ball as far as as uh, Clemente would that. Uh, uh, in Pittsburgh, that was the name of that stadium. I can't yeah. even think of Forbes, Forbes Field. Field. You know how deep it was there, but he could throw it on the line to the third baseman or to the catcher. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought he had probably, you know who the best one of the best arms I ever saw was Rocky Colavito. Yeah. So you're managing. You have your choice of picking one pitcher to win a big game for you. Do you pick Sandy Colfax, Bob Gibson, or someone else? Cy Young. <laughs> a smart <laughs> manager. <laughs> well, wow, that's hard to do. You know, Don Drysdale will be running there too. He, Don Drysdale was a—he was the best warrior pitcher I ever saw. I mean, we—he walked on that mound. It was like it's a war between me and the hitter. And I don't care who you are, I'm going to get you. And especially rookies that come up just a matter of time before he knocked them on their butt. You know, he Don was a big. He was six foot six, a big guy too. But uh, you have to say uh, Colfax, Gibson. I played with Gib, both of them. Gibson was a better athlete because he could swing the bat and he could run and do all fill his position good. But see, Sandy didn't have to worry about that. He didn't have nobody on base. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, and, and, and Gibson and Drysdale. Did something that you're a big proponent of, and you don't see very much anymore, is throwing the ball inside. Oh yeah, they, 
if I, you know, I should tell myself, if I had to go over again, I'd have pitched inside a lot more. Because later on, after I hurt my arm, I always throw a lot of sliders and curveballs that blow away, blow away. And then guys reach over and hit it. I said, they shouldn't hit that pitch. And the catcher said, you've got to pitch them inside. I was afraid I'd hit them and put them on base. I didn't care if I hit them, but I put them on base. In fact, if I did hit somebody I, and, and I didn't mean to, I'd, I'd act like I did intentionally. Another great show today. It's always great when you could have a guy like Roger Craig on who could talk for an hour. He could probably talk all day. I mean, he goes all the way from Jackie Robinson to Bob Renly. He knows more baseball than most guys combined. Again, we want to thank our producer, Dave Olson, for another great show. I'm David Spada here with Elliot Harris. Thanks for listening to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com.